Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. I have a special guest here with me in the studio and you're going to hear a story of God at work and bringing change to life and bringing faith to life. We all need to hear this and any parents listening who might be a little bit discouraged right now, just remember when you hear a testimony of God working in somebody else's life, that means God can work in your life and your children's life as well. With me here in the studio is Debbie Herbeck. Debbie, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you. It's so good to be here in South Carolina. Well, we're going to be talking about your ministry, and we have an upcoming episode. We're going to be talking to the, I call it the dream team, with you and your daughter (laughs) working with uh, girls and young Catholic women. But you have a story, and I think people really need to hear stories of God working in lives. You know, you can buy books and go to seminars and hear somebody else who's already had their story, but tell us your story. Wow. Okay. Great question. Um, (laughs) I love stories, and I think people resonate the most with stories. Stories are what build faith in our life to say, if God could do that in her life, I wonder what he could do in mine. And so that is really why I've been motivated all these years. Um, by the Lord to share my story. Um, and so to begin with, I grew up on um, in Chicago area. Um, I was one of four children, and I grew up in a Jewish home. And I like to say that um, we were so Jewish, Jewish family, Jewish school, Jewish neighborhood, Jewish friends, that as a young child, I thought everyone in the world was Jewish because that was my home. That was Um, what my family had built, and and we were very insulated and isolated, and for a very purposeful reason, that our Jewish identity was the most important thing about us, and my parents and my grandparents wanted to make sure that that identity was maintained. And so that's all I knew growing up. This was before the World Wide Web, so before I had access to other, really other religions, and so I didn't really know what Christianity was about. I knew there was the Gentile world and the Jewish world, and I was firmly rooted in the Jewish world, never to cross that great divide. I didn't really know who Jesus was. Um, And so the first time I was ever even in a church was I was a senior in high school on a field trip, and they took us down to this old Polish church in downtown Chicago. And I just remember just the sensations of being there, the smells and the sounds, and then this this naked guy hanging on the wall. I had no context for understanding it all, but it was very strange to me. And so this is a world I grew up in. My grandparents, my father's parents were Zionists, which means they had great influence in the city of Chicago amongst the Jews of really helping raise millions of dollars for the state of Israel. And so their friends in Israel were people like Moshe Dayan, Yitzhak Rabin, um, Golda Meir. These are the, you know, the pioneers of the state Absolutely. of Israel. Yeah. And so this is what I knew growing up is what it meant to be a Jew was passionate about the state of Israel, passionate about um, the culture and the traditions and the holidays and all of that, um, passionate about learning Hebrew learning and learning as a scholar or scripture. I, didn't, I clearly did not know what it meant to have a personal relationship with God. Um, he was a God of our history and a God of our people, but I didn't really have a personal connection with him. 
you know, it just hit me that May 2023 is the 75th anniversary of the nation of Israel. Yes. And here you are sitting on our radio studio wow. talking about that. Yes. All right. Well, you had what I would say 100% Jewish world, worldview, faith view, everything, culture, family. Now, you made progress towards a Catholic faith, but that came where and how? Yes, that was clearly a very, very divine thing. Um, it's so fun to look back on and see kind of the handwriting or the handprint of God through all of it. But um, as I said, I was one of four children. I have an identical twin sister, um, an older brother, Mark, who was two years older, and a younger brother, David, who was four years younger. And uh, we lived this very, I, you know, in many ways, wonderful life. My father had a good job when we were nine or ten. We moved out of the south side of Chicago as the neighborhoods were changing to the North Shore and, again, surrounded by many, many Jewish people. And, um, you know, there were a lot of things that were dysfunctional about many families. Mine was one of them, but we were well provided for and well cared for it. And I, in a certain way, God was not relevant in my life, and I didn't really have a, feel like I had a need for him. When I was 15, um, what, and my sister and I were bat mitzvah. So for those of you who don't know bar mitzvah, it's like a, a rite of passage in the Jewish faith where you study for a year with a rabbi and a cantor, you chant out of the Torah, and then you stand before your congregation and say, I'm now ready to be an adult member of the Jewish faith through study and good works and um, all of that. So my sister and I did that. We, we, you know, we did all the things that the Jewish kids do. Um, we went to a, a big Jewish high school, college prep high school. And I think the, the turning point here as I look at this story was being a, a middle of my sophomore year of high school. My brother at this point was already in college. And um, the three of us, my sister, my brother, and I, the three oldest, were invited to go on a, a kind of fancy family vacation with um, some wealthy relatives to the Bahamas. And so we were going to meet my brother in Florida to continue our travels to the Bahamas. He was coming from college, and when we arrived at the airport, we got the news that he had been in a car accident. And so my sister and I went to some friends' homes, uh, home to wait, await the news. We didn't even know how serious it was. And that night, as we waited for the news, was the first time that I sincerely prayed. And I turned my heart to God, and I said, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you can hear me, if you even care. But if God, if you're there, save my brother's life. And shortly after that, the news came that he had been driving home on a two-lane two highway, snowy, was run off the road without a seatbelt and semi-truck and, and died um, a few hours later before my parents could, could get to him. And in that moment, receiving that news um, alone without my family, just my sister and I, I remember my response to this God I didn't even know if he existed or if he cared was, God, where were you? If you had been here and if you really loved us, you could have prevented this. You could have prevented my brother's death. And so we went back home and went through the mourning and the, you know, all the rituals that Jews do without a real understanding of, of an afterlife. My parents were just shattered, losing their firstborn son, had no, yeah. no capacity to care for us. And so I was really adrift during these last few years of high school trying to figure this out. Ended up going to the rabbi to ask him all these burning questions where is God? What happens when we die? 
Why do bad things happen to good people? And he had zero answers for me. His three-word answer was, I don't know. Mm. And I thought, you represent my faith to me, and you can't articulate what we believe about these important questions. And so I spent a lot of my high school years very angry, um, very shut down, uh, trying to numb a lot of the pain and waiting for the opportunity to really get away from home so I could begin a different life. So, like most young people, you did. You went off to college. I did. I got away. I ended up um, getting into the University of Michigan, which is a you know a very good school. My sister and I went to different colleges, um, so I was really, really on my own, and I was excited just to meet other Jewish kids in this big university. Um, found felt like that would be the place that I could really, um, you know land and be with people that were familiar to me. And my first roommate um, was not a Jew. She was a Catholic girl. And a Catholic girl who had spent her senior year, as she described it very much later to me, falling in love with the person of Jesus. Um, and so I like to tell the story of when I arrived in the dorm room and to see the room, she was already there with her side of the room set up. There was a, a, a picture on the, her dresser um, a little frame picture of a guy with brown hair and a beard, and and I remember asking her casually if that was her boyfriend. And how did she react to that? And that was the Beach Boy Jesus uh, right. picture. You can visualize that. Right. And she she laughed a bit and said, "You don't know who that is." And I said, "No, I really don't." You really were isolated yes, from Christianity. Yes, <laughs> I was. Okay. And she said. Uh, his name is Jesus, and he is my boyfriend, by the way. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a long year uh, with this Jesus girl, you know. Um, so, but it was great. She didn't preach at me. She just tried to live her faith. And there was another girl on the floor who was very kind of more, had this evangelistic fervor, zeal. And she and I became fast friends because we were both athletes and we liked to work out together. And so we began this friendship um, where I, she didn't really talk explicitly about Jesus. She didn't say, "Here's, you know, here's the gospel message." Mm -hmm. um, but there was something different about her. She had a peace. She had a sense of purpose and conviction. And I was, I was drawn to her without even knowing what that was. Okay. So how did what happened as you progressed through your time at Michigan? Well, I think one thing that was really um, eye-opening to me was uh, we're still in my freshman year here, and I'm taking a class. Um, I was an English major called Great Books, and we happened to be studying first and second century writings. And the professor came to class one day and said, you're going to read the Book of Romans and write an essay on it. And so I went to him after class, and I said, uh, that book was not on the list. I don't have it. He said, it's in the New Testament. And I said, I'm not allowed to have one of those, you know, kind of thing like my grandfather will stop <laughs> contributing to my tuition. Um, and uh, he said, I, I don't really care. Find a Bible and do the assignment. So I went to my friend Sarah, who had her own Bible. I had observed that. and You're, you're carrying that you with can you see today? That. Yes. And it's got her name on the, on the bottom. It's just, you know, right now. An ancient, uh, an ancient manuscript, but it, it was well-worn. And so she said, I'm going to put the little ribbon in, the place marker. Romans is hard if you need help. I said, no, thank you. So I went and I sat down in my room and I began to read Romans. Two paragraphs in, I'm like, I have no clue what's happening here. I don't know G who Jesus is. I don't know who Paul is. 
So I began to just like look through her Bible, and I was astounded because it, there were many things about it that just shocked me. One is that she actually read it. How did I know that? She wrote and underlined, okay. highlighted in most of it. And as I began to look through her Bible, which, by the way, had the Hebrew scriptures in it as well, um, I began to get the sense like this is a private conversation that's happening here. These words actually are speaking to her, and she's speaking back. There's a dialogue. She believes this is true, and she's relating to it like this has something to say to her about her life in this day and age. And I don't remember if I ever did the assignment. I certainly didn't finish Romans, but I remember giving this back to her much, much later, Steve, as I began to read the New Testament seriously myself. I came across a passage which really described my experience that day. It's this one from Hebrews. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I had a sense that day that I was holding this almost like dangerous thing, and if I held on to it too long and engaged in it, it was going to cut me to the heart. And I just remember giving her a Bible back. But I share that because it was like an insight or a window into someone who had a relationship with the author of this book. That at that time, I didn't even know if I believed God was real or not. So that was a big step for me. Um, Fast forward, I'm almost at the end of my freshman year. It's March, the end of March. It was Lent. I didn't know it was Lent, but... um, a bunch of these girls, including this girl friend named Sarah, came to my dorm room and said, we're taking a study break. Do you want to watch a movie with us um, in the do- in the lounge? You know, the days when you had to actually go to a lounge right. to mm-hmm. watch. So the TV came on. It was a, a movie they were showing over the course of that Lenten week, I guess. I sat down on the floor in this crowded little lounge with my friend Sarah. The movie comes on, and I'm whispering to her, what is this movie? And she's very evasive, you know, <laughs> oh, it's nothing. And then I look up and the on the title is coming across the screen, Jesus of Nazareth. And again, I'm like, I got to get out of here. You know, <laughs> uh, the Jewish girl doesn't belong in a place like this. But I was so like shy and inhibited that I didn't want to kind of get up in the middle of all of it. So I sat there for a few minutes and I watched as the story of this baby begins to unfold into Um, this boy and young adulthood, and I turned to her at one point in a very loud whisper, and I said, he's Jewish. And she was like, yeah. And I thought to myself, wow, best kept secret. I I didn't know Jesus was a Jew. I didn't really know that much about him, but I'd always taught that there's the, the Gentile world, and Jesus is in that camp, and there's the Jews. And all of a sudden, those two worlds seemed to come together. Jesus wasn't over there we were part of the same family tree, so to speak. And not only was he Jewish, he was a good Jew. Um, and not only was he a good Jew, he was a good man. And I saw in this Hollywood version of Jesus' life, I saw the man, everything about this man that I wanted to be, that I had failed so miserably in my own life, compassion and love and conviction and truth and all those questions that I had about life that he just seemed to embody in some way. So the show is coming to an end. It's, you know, there's one more scene that I'm watching as the story unfolds where Jesus goes to a town and he's met at the edge of this village by a woman named Martha who begins to weep and falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. 
And I was just cut to the heart because I was like, this is a script from my own life. Right. That's what I felt like I was saying to God when my brother died. And in that moment, everything in me really did want to get up and just run out of the room. And I felt like I was being held there by this invisible hand. Just wait. Just watch. And I did. I watched as Martha and Mary go to the tomb of their brother, and they wa- and they watched Jesus call him forth. And I knew as a Jew they shouldn't have been there, that there was a ritually impure, unclean place to be hanging out with the dead. And they raise, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I stood there, or sat there, and I thought, who is this man? Could he be the one? Could he be the Messiah? Who is this person who has power over life and death? And I went back to my room that night, and I just could, I couldn't sleep. And I walked all the way down the hall to my friend Sarah's room, and I knocked on her door. Is that Sarah's Bible there? This is Sarah's okay. Bible. And I, she opened the door this wide, you know, right. about a foot wide, and she just put the Bible out. <laughs> okay. Talk about being ready, right? She was yeah. ready. And I took the Bible back to my room, and I remember sitting in my beanbag chair and opening up where the little ribbon was, and I read for the first time, not a Hollywood version, but the words of Christ. I read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I came to that passage in John that I had just witnessed where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never die, but will live forever. And I didn't know what most of those words meant, but I knew there was a promise there. And so that night for the second time, I prayed and I said, God, I still don't know if you're real or who you are, but if this man, Jesus, is the Messiah, show me and give me the faith to believe. I would like to tell you that in that moment, like mm-hmm. like a genie out of a bottle, he appeared. Right. That's not what happened, but that was the beginning of the stirring of my heart to seek after truth. And Jesus became the truth that I was pursuing. Um, and so I returned the Bible to Sarah, and she said, why don't you hang on to it? Take it home with you for the summer and really read this. And so I did. I like to say was, I felt like Nicodemus in the night. You know, I had my flashlight, and I would read it at night in a closet or under the covers because I knew it wasn't allowed. And I began to really dive into particularly the Gospels. What does Jesus say about who he is? How does that reflect on what Isaiah talked about in the suffering servant and other messianic prophecies? And what is it? What is the cost to believe this? Everything costs something. What is he asking of me if I were to believe this truth? And so that began that journey of studying the scriptures and praying that prayer every single night for nine months. God, if you're real, show me and give me the faith to believe. Now, Debbie... I have been doing this radio show for, I don't even know how many years, but at least a couple of decades or more. I've never had anyone in my studio hold a Bible quite like what you were just holding. Um, A lot of people, in, in fact, hearing us right now, are wondering, you know, how do I connect with God? And we hear a lot of ads on Catholic radio and TV and magazines. You, you have to get this or that. And I share with you my relationship with God began with the scriptures. And mine was actually a little bit more, I was going in reverse. I was raised Christian home and taken to Sunday school and everything else, but it just had absolutely 
no effect by the time of the teen years and uh, got in trouble in college, dropped out back then, joined the Navy because you had to be in some service. And I basically came to the conclusion due to I had a personal guru that there wasn't anything to Christianity. And I was told that um, in order to reach higher stages of enlightenment, which I at that point quit the party scene and wanted to seek, Mm -hmm. you know, enlightenment, I was told that I have to read the Bible because uh, I was reincarnated into a Christian home. Therefore, I have to read the Christian scriptures before I move to higher states. So actually, I went to a center that I now recognize was filled with occult practices and everything else. But and I don't know if you remember the Moody Blues oh, yeah. and the oh, yeah. Ohms and all that. And they had all these different Bibles, Gospel of Thomas and whatever. And the way I chose the Bible, I just did my ohms until I had good vibes. over. Yeah, yeah. My, that was my level of theological sophistication. But I was, I was checking out. And again, this is in a place where I would recommend anyone in the world. That's why I'm not naming it to go. But the lady checking me out said, I want you to pray before you read this. And I said, sure. And it was a, just a very casual sure. And she grabbed the bag back. And I want you to promise that you would do wow. that. And so I remember going back to the ship and getting that Bible, and I remembered the promise I had made and, and prayed, and kind of like you, you know, like, is there anything to this mm-hmm. and kind of like whatever. But I think so often Catholics, and even I hear so many uh, different types of advice given for how to connect with God. And, and my guess is if your house was on fire— uh, I know you'd want some family pictures and this and that, but that would be one of the things Absolutely. that would be under your arm. Yeah. Because that's how you connected with the living God. It's a living word. This isn't a book. This is the word of God that is living and active and can pierce, reach. I mean, you were down. Yeah. When your brother died, you don't get any deeper than that. Right. And the word of God got right there. So. You know, I think I mentioned to you, I saw an ad for one of the great Catholic colleges, but I went to the back of the college magazine, and it was trying to be an ad for the college, and it had a stack, I think, of seven books, and all seven books were Aristotle. Now, I don't have anything against Aristotle, but, you know, a Catholic college, at least at the top of the stack or something or or by itself, where are the scriptures? Mm Mm-hmm. No, this is, and I'm so grateful for my Jewish upbringing because, and I want to say I wasn't seeking to not be Jewish. I was seeking to complete what I felt like God had promised the Jewish people, which was a Messiah. But the reverence of Scripture that I learned as a child was, you know, and how much Scripture informed the way we lived our life, the way we celebrated, the way we mourned, the way we, you know, loved all of it. And so I've been in love with the scriptures, I think, really, since since I learned to say Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel, as a child, you know. But um, it's still, it's food, it's power, it's, it's everything. And, you know, a lot of times young people who I work with say, I don't hear God speaking to me. And I said, are you reading your scriptures? Well, no. I said, go to the book. Because this is That's how God the speaks. advice. Yeah, go to the book. I don't have any other advice. I mean, I have a lot of other advice, but start there. You start there. This is the beginning, the middle, and the end. This this is it. Well, even in Catholic education, I know a lot of parents are just absolutely 
freaked by what's going on in our world and our schools. So they may homeschool, go to Catholic school. But even in those or classical curriculums or whatever, the scriptures, which should be the center, at best are on the periphery or maybe even just we, oh, yeah, we hear a little bit of that in mass and that's enough. Um, would you, I mean, you're, we're going to talk to you a little bit more about reaching young women and girls. Is that enough? No. For- and when we talk in the next hour, please ask me about our Bible study because this is okay. exploding with young girls um, because if we want them to know the truth— Okay. With a capital T, and I mean Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. We have to get them into Scripture. They have to be rooted in this truth, not a truth, not their truth, not one truth. And this is where we find it. And so this is how we equip and armor them is through the Word of God, you know, the sword of the Spirit, that offensive weapon um, that we have. So very passionate about the Scriptures. I love the Scriptures. Um, I'm very grateful the role that they played in my life, you know. How about mom and dad listening? You just can't kind of like toss a New Testament to your teenage son or daughter. Mm-hmm. It has to start in your own life. And in other words, they can see you're contagious because it's in you. They want to have something. So where does this come from? You can point. But Yeah. No, mom and dad have to be reading the scriptures. Um, I've done Bible study, you know, my whole married life. My kids have seen me in Bible study, leading Bible study, reading scriptures. Um, We did scripture as part of our prayer um, as a family, and not just reading it, but also talking about it. Like this is a conversation that's happening between us and God, and he wants us to respond to the scriptures. You know, how cool is to think this, whatever was written here, down here, maybe 2,000 or 3,000 years ago was written with you in mind? that one day you would sit down and read this and enter into this story, how it just blows my mind. How, how awesome is yes. that? So, so my journey, which kind of began on that path of asking those questions, really began through the scriptures and then continued through, you know, a very direct revelation of the Lord himself which I know we're running out of time, and I hate to, like, squeeze it in at the end, but obviously there's a really happy ending to this whole journey is that I really did meet Jesus and met the person of Jesus. Well, we're going to be sharing some more of that in our next episode, and then also when Christ fills your life, it's kind of almost impossible to keep quiet about it, isn't it? It sure is, and I was a pretty quiet person. So, uh. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood, and my guest has been Debbie Herbeck. Thanks for listening. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.